So we come together on Asalha Puja, full moon day, to practice, meditate, chant, listen to the Patimokha. following in the footsteps of the Buddha. He taught the Dhamma and the Vinaya. So the Vinaya brings us together on these occasions to listen to the Patimokha and also to come together to spend three months together, the range retreat, according to the Vinaya. So it's a time to increase our efforts in the practice. Time for continuity in the practice, less traveling, less distractions hopefully. time to contemplate the refuges that we took when we ordained and the Buddha the purity of the undefiled mind that we aspire to the compassion, the wisdom when we're practicing, we're practicing we always say to develop wisdom but then you might also say that it's because we have wisdom that we come to practice so wisdom is there at the beginning of the practice and at the end Our teachers even say when you practice mindfulness, <coughs> clear comprehension, you need wisdom to do that. Wisdom to direct your mind to bring up mindfulness, clear comprehension. You need wisdom to follow the Vinaya, keep the precepts. The result of all that is that we get more wisdom. So we have some wisdom, but it matures, deepens through the practice. But this wisdom, this panya, is never just knowledge, it's not just accumulating knowledge by reading and listening although we do need to do that in the practice but it's not a, never an end in itself it's not just information 
different views, facts about the practice. True wisdom is the wisdom that brings the mind to peace, calms it down, releases it from the causes of suffering. So it's an experience. Like we refer <clears throat> we refer to the Buddha as the knower of the worlds, in loka we do. And that doesn't mean to say that to follow the footsteps of the Buddha we have to know all about the world. We don't have to know everything that goes on in the world. We don't have to understand every aspect of the world in the external sense. We know something about the world. But the world that the Buddha and Ajahn Chah is referring to is the world as experienced through our own jitter. So the world for our jitter means aroms, means mental objects, mental states. The knower of the world means knower of the mind and its objects. And this is why it's possible for us to practice and free ourselves from suffering because it is possible for human beings to know the mind and its objects. But that obviously takes practice and training, which is where the Dhamma Vinaya comes in. This is what we're doing. We're training to know the mind, to know a rom, mental states. So when we practice, it involves a lot of observing, contemplating. We have to know the different factors, different component parts that make up the reality of our experience. <coughs> So we practice mindfulness of the senses, eyes, see forms. We know the external objects, the form, for instance, ayatana. We know the eye, the in internal ayatana. We can only do that by practicing bringing up mindfulness, presence of mind, and then observing, looking and learning, your eyes see form and then what happens, tend to get liking and disliking arise, we get attachment and we get the sense of self, I, me, mine. This is where the Buddha how does practice? A practice to know the world, 
meaning the know the world through our senses and in the different mental impressions they bring up the different mental experiences and to see where suffering arises where we grasp at everything as self to learn that to understand that and know that and it's not a kind of knowledge we can just remember or learn from the books, from hearing talks and so on. It's something we have to know through our own experience. We have to practice. useful to have the teachings and we use the teachings to set us in the right direction so it's a bit like a shortcut can save us a lot of time struggling wandering around getting lost or going in the wrong direction but our aim is not to just grasp at the teachings even it's just use them as a simple vehicle or a tool to help us understand the truth for ourselves. So we have to learn how to bring out this quality of mindfulness, clear comprehension, or this quality of knowing, knowing in the present moment, just looking. We don't have to go anywhere, do anything special. We don't have to study an awful lot in terms of book knowledge. We don't have to receive some special transmission from anybody. We just have to be willing to learn and look at what's going on right in the present moment. The Pachyubhana Dhamma. And develop the skills to do that properly, do that well. And to be quiet enough in our minds and our hearts so that we can look and see, have enough clarity. So we have to develop enough energy to do that, to be willing to apply the mind, apply the practice, have to develop effort, energy, and develop the patience to keep coming back and learning through our experience. But all we have to do is just learn, look and learn right here, right now, in the present moment. Because that's where this experience of <coughs> self arises, that's where attachment arises, that's where suffering comes from. And suffering is not something we experience sometime in the future or in the past it's just a, a, an experience that is coming up right here and now if it's arising similarly peace is something we experience right here and now
So we use the path and the way of practice to help achieve this. We learn to practice mindfulness. Even that becomes an issue, doesn't it? It becomes a problem sometimes. Whether we're practicing samatha or whether we're practicing vipassana or how much samatha and how much vipassana should we do. When should we be quiet? When should we contemplate? And so on. So our aim in the practice is to get to that point where we can get beyond Sakaya Diti Vichikicca Silapata Paramasa and get the mind to the point where it can see through Sakaya Diti and see that this body and mind is not self, it's an Icha Dukkha Anatta. Have enough clarity not to get caught up by doubt, to see doubt as doubt, even if we haven't completed the path or transcended all suffering, we can at least see what the path is and the direction we have to go, but not to be caught out by doubt and let doubt lead us into more confusion. And not to just believe in a superstitious way and believe certain practices will automatically get us to the goal that we want. To have a bit more discernment than that, to have enough wisdom to just reason and reflect that it will come through causes and conditions. We practice in the right way, well then result, the right results will come in their own time rather than just believing superstitiously that somehow a certain practice might get us there. Ajahn Chah talked about one friend he'd met on Tudong. Then a few years later he went back to see him. And it seemed, unfortunately, this monk wasn't particularly wise. He had a very superficial attitude towards practice. He'd learnt a lot, studied a lot, but he hadn't internalised the Dhamma. So he was working on that more superficial level, still had a lot of superstition, you might say blind belief. He was telling Ajahn Chah how he went to visit one monastery which had a legendary Buddha statue that you could lift and make an aditana and if the aditana was going to be true you could lift the Buddha statue up. If the determination you make wasn't true, then it would be it would feel very heavy, and you wouldn't be able to lift it lift it off the pedestal. So he made his determination. He said, "If I've reached purity of an Arya Pugala, if I purified my mind, may I be able to lift this Buddha statue well off the pedestal?" And he could. He lifted it up and he was so happy. He was so happy he even made a, got someone to engrave it on a stone, like make a stone plaque. I was able to lift the Buddha statue. I've achieved purity of mind. So Ajahn Chah just laughed at this. You know, purity of mind isn't about lifting some legendary Buddha statue up and down 
comes through its the causes and conditions of practicing. We're going to beyond that superficial level, just labels and guessing and believing in things. We have to learn how to train in discernment and use that to guide our practice. Sila Samadhi Panya has to be guided by wisdom. It's the only way we can break through the delusions that we've been born with and that we've grown up with. You know, we're constantly deluded by the world, falling into experiences of pleasure and pain because we grasp at everything wrongly. As we say, we are constantly grasping at that which is inherently unattractive. We're always looking at it as attractive, beautiful, not seeing the unattractive side of things. Constantly looking at that which is impermanent, subject to change, constantly seeing it as permanent, constantly looking for happiness in that which is dukkha, constantly looking at that which is not self as self. We don't see not self because we attach to the sort of the solidity of everything. So this body, we don't see it as just a set of causes and conditions, elements, because we see the solid, the whole picture, the solidity of it. We don't see beyond that, see it in its component parts. We see this everything in terms of a solid me, mine, myself. So there's my possessions, this body, even our mental experience, we take as sort of solid, lasting, substantial. So you have a mood, pleasure or excitement, or pain, grief, and that mood seems so, so solid, so complete, that we just grasp at it and become that way. So upadana, attachment to body and mind, nama rupa, gives rise to bhava, becoming. We become that way. Ajahn Chah said, you can keep contemplating this until maybe your mindfulness is very sustained and very clear. Awareness is very refined, very sensitive. And you can see becoming arising all the time, literally moment to moment, with different sense contact, different experiences we have, constantly falling into states of becoming. And that precedes birth. So it's not like... We're practicing for some special birth or kind of existence in the future. We're just watching how it's happening right now. Where does birth come from? It comes from the becoming where we grasp at mental states as self. And they seem very solid, very important, very overwhelming. Basically, we get intoxicated with things. If we never establish mindfulness and we never contemplate, well, then we get intoxicated with everything. 
meaning we don't see the truth. These four truths, these four whippalasses are constantly affecting the mind. So we suffer. You know, if you do grasp that your moods and your mental states are self, well, you suffer with them. You grasp that the body is self, well, you suffer. You grasp that your possessions and the things you're involved with are self, you suffer. Could be small things. You know, we grasp at any small thing as self, we suffer. When we get get the thing we want, the requisite we want, we're happy. When we lose it, we suffer. We get it back again, we're happy again. We lose it again, we suffer again. Could be bigger things. Could be a whole a kuti or a whole monastery who grasp it as my monastery, my place, my house, my kuti. Still, it's also suffering, isn't it? Something happens to it, we suffer. And the heart reacts with pleasure or pain. Our families, we grasp it as self, so we suffer with them. Our parents get older, get sick, and we suffer as we get the news about their sickness or their aging or their death. Why is that? It's because we grasp. Grasp at the person, grasp at the idea, the concept. And we become a certain way. When they're doing well, we're happy. When they're suffering or in pain, we suffer because of becoming. So we're training ourselves in this <clears throat> not to be a certain way or a certain kind of person, a good person, a bad person, wise person, or this person or that person. We're simply observing what actually happens to a human mind experiencing the world as different aramanas, sense impressions, mental impressions come in contact with it and what it does to the mind and why suffering arises. And this is what we're learning. This is what we're looking into more closely. And why does some bad news make you feel unhappy? You, you, we grasp at things, don't we? We grasp at ideas, concepts, and we have feelings arise and then we proliferate craving and attachment arises and then we become a certain way. So we might become gloomy or dull or unhappy or with good news we become happy. Even the experiences of meditation, things arise. We have visions and lights and piti and sukha arise. We grasp at that still a subtle form of becoming. So we're constantly encouraged to develop mindfulness and then contemplate our experience from moment to moment, whether it's a good meditation or a bad meditation, pleasurable or unpleasant, rather than just always reacting to things and getting intoxicated with everything, but to step back and just watch it for what it is. And just using the most simple reflections like it's not sure, it's uncertain that Ajahn Chah gave us. 
you know, that kind of reflection, say, on the universal characteristics, you know, samanya, laksana, anicca, dukkha, anatta, you know, these don't change according to the era, the place, the time. You can reflect on impermanence any time, any place. It applies to our human experience now, just as it did in the time of the Buddha. You can watch your moods arise and pass away in the course of one day, dependent on different conditions and causes. You can watch that over and over again, uncertain, not sure, changeable. That's giving you wisdom, isn't it? It's giving you some insight in the way the way the the world is, the way aramanas or aroms are. They come and they go according to cause and, and conditions. If you keep watching like that, you're patient enough and you do it long enough, you can't help but start to tire of always grasping at them with as as self. In becoming Upadana, Dunha, that process that gives rise to suffering, it starts to fade the more we see the impermanence of our moods. It, the mind tires of becoming intoxicated with everything. Even pleasure can become tiresome <coughs> when you see it as something that intoxicates you. The coolness of equanimity becomes more desirable to the mind, desirable in a wise way. Bright, alert states of mind, beyond the hindrances, become more desirable. Being willing to train the mind to go against desires, attachments, kilesa, becomes more desirable than always giving in to them. Sure, we do give in to them, but as we keep practicing, you know, the, the insight is that it's not actually in our best interest to follow kilesa. Sooner or later, the mind that clicks in the mind, it starts to see that and know that. So then it doesn't really want to follow kilesa. Sure, there's always some kilesa that are a little bit sharper, a little bit quicker than we can deal with. And these are Mara's snares, Mara's traps that come up from time to time. But then we can also see there's other kilesas, attachments that we can catch. And you use them as your inspiration to know that it can be done. There are some of Mara's snares that we've already got out of, otherwise we wouldn't be in the monastery. And there's more we can get out of if we keep applying ourselves. So we have to keep looking and learning, not just giving in to the immediate impressions that the world gives us through the senses, through the aramanas. You always assume that we're somewhere we're getting deluded by what our experience is. So we, our default setting should be we're always willing to discern, to look more closely. Otherwise, we just, the mind just stays on its same old level, always reacting, always suffering. Even when things seem to go well, we still end up suffering.
because we haven't looked more closely in seeing Anicca Dukkha Anatta and experience. Whatever area that we seem to get particularly caught by, fooled by, that's where we have to start looking at, finding skillful ways to deal with that more more wisely. And sometimes you don't even have to, even if you can't find a particular case you need to deal with, well sometimes you just can make up particular reflections or practices just to see if they work. We have to experiment sometimes to look deeply. So this is the pantsa, the time, a suitable time to experiment a little bit. How much we sleep, how much we eat, how much we how many time how much time we spend sitting walking meditation learning chants reflecting on dhamma in different ways different kinds of core what that we bring up different aspects of our personal discipline we might want to adjust you know there's endless areas we can find to deepen our practice at this time The important important thing is to use discernment. You can't force your mind to go a certain way or be a certain way. We can only understand the mind and teach it. And basically, the way wisdom deepens, the way peace arises, whether it's samadhi or wisdom, panya, we have to be able to teach the mind to the point where it understands and lets go of whatever it's blocking it and whatever the problem is whether it's getting through the hindrances to develop samadhi or just reflecting on an ichadukanata you can't do it just through willpower you can use willpower for a while but after a while you know the mind gets it reacts to that you keep forcing it and it will give up usually goes to despair or just goes crazy. You can't do that. You have to use some wisdom to guide it. But you keep pushing it in the right direction with the right amount of effort, the right amount of wisdom, then you can see some good results. Use, Use the Vinaya and use the practices we have to see where you can expose attachment a little bit more. Obviously, if we just follow attachment, follow desire, follow attachment all the time, and that's our default setting, then you never really see it as a cause of suffering, and you never really see what you have to do. You have to be willing to go against it in some ways, maybe just small ways. It doesn't have to be big, grand ways, but just little ways. We see where we can improve in our practice and getting up in the morning or staying up later at night being restrained around food being diligent in doing our chores the way we relate to other people what we say how respectful and kind we are to other people whether it's sangha or laity and so on all these areas the kilesas, the attachments display themselves. So there's all the areas we can improve on and work with in the practice.
And we sometimes we have to just be honest with ourselves. Say, where am I still? Where am I still stuck? Where is the mind still sticking? Some of its habits reacts in the same old way. You have to look more carefully at what's going on. Even just hearing a talk like this might bring up doubts. So, oh, what should I do in my practice? What do I need to do? Will it really work? Can I really be bothered? Is it worth it? You know, that, just be aware of the doubt itself. If the doubt comes up, see the doubt as a doubt. It's just a thought, rising, passing away. It doesn't have to be anything you follow or believe in. Watch how desires come up, affected by the weather, affected by what people say around us, what they do, reactions to other people, likes and dislikes and so on. Use it as food for contemplation. Sometimes we don't have to do anything special, just sit meditation, maybe sit on an all-night sitting, just decide, oh, I'm going to sit without moving a bit longer than normal. Sit for an hour and a half or two hours without moving. Or we can use, do for two hours or three hours. See what it brings up in the mind, those different reactions, attachment, clinging, fear, aversion to pain maybe. Contemplate that. Yeah, how real is that? Is that the real self? Or is it just just different reactions stimulated because there's a bit of pain in your knees or your back or something? Because you feel tired. Actually learn from these experiences. Use, use your time to really learn how to see how the mind works. You know, where is the self? If you are, you know, you've sat for two hours without moving and there's lots of pain and the body seems, feels like it's on fire or there's certain painful, stingy feelings. Then you get up, it all disappears just like that, it's gone. And you forget all about it. So how solid and real is that self? It was becoming all worked up because of that pain, which has now just disappeared. You carry your mindfulness, your contemplation through from one posture to the next, from one time of the day to the next. And just keep asking yourself, who is this self? What is this real self? What's it really made up of? You know, what's the body made up of? It's just four elements. What's the mind made up of? It's just the element of knowing and then it gets caught up with different reactions of aversion and liking and disliking. It's really just the element of knowing. Even that becomes complicated with that, well, who knows the defilements? It's just, you're just training the mind in a quality of knowing. It becomes more sensitive, more awareness towards it, itself. It doesn't, we don't have to answer the question, who is it, who knows? That's just the mind getting caught up in doubting again. In the end, the result that proves the practice is, is any peace and understanding that comes that brings a sense of peace. Any sense of release from attachment always brings some calm, some happiness. 
It's not something to crave in itself or grasp at in itself, but just to notice when there is some insight and some letting go, well, then it gives rise to peace. And then there's less doubt. There's less fumbling and sort of superstitious belief in things. And there's less, less grasping at the body and mind itself when it's just knowing things the way they are. If you take the Buddha's words for what they are, then the five candors are just phenomena that exist in nature that arise and passing pass away of themselves. They've been doing that for many lifetimes and they've been doing that this lifetime. There's not actually anything to be grasped at. You little by little the mind can come to accept that if you just Keep teaching it in the right way, observing, looking, finding out. Then you know mm, that's just the way it is. If you see that in your own five candors, then you see that in other people. So all the people we love and like, family and friends, they're also just arising, passing away. They're also intoxicated with their sense of self, just like us. It's been like that in the past, throughout history. No doubt there'll be plenty of people still unenlightened in the future. But at least if some people can brighten up a little bit and look a bit closer and understand this truth better, at least a little bit of the world's suffering will be reduced a little bit more peace in the world because there's less clinging, less becoming, less birth, less attachment. You know, if you get caught into pleasure-seeking, fantasizing about different kinds of happiness and pleasure you could have, you just see it. It's just an ichadukhanita. No need to grasp at it. Just know it for what it is and then let it go. If you're caught into aversion, aversion to your, yourself or some other person, then just know it, it's just aversion, it's just a reaction. A sankara comes up, goes away. There's nothing substantial in that. You keep doing that long enough, then the mind will understand. You teach the mind long enough, it understands. That's just the way it is. Things arise, things pass away. Nothing to get upset about, nothing to get excited about. It's just the way it is. Even the most refined things, the most refined kinds of happiness, blissful experiences, limiters and so on, similar, they arise, they pass away. Even the most depraved things, the most terrible things, painful experiences, different kinds of extreme suffering the world has to offer, also arise, pass away. You know, that's the realization, the insight we gain is that mm, everything arises and passes away according to its conditions. In the end, it's all just a rom. There's the mind and there's a rom, a ramana. If we know all the aramana, 
<coughs> then we can know the world. If we know the world, then we can purify the mind, free it from suffering. So I'll leave you with these thoughts for your contemplation tonight.